0: Father, we pray your blessing upon your word this morning. Help us to be open to it. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. And Father, too, we thank you for the trials. We pray that we would be open to those as you seek to mold us into the very image of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Allen, for the privilege of preaching in chapel this morning. I deeply love and respect Dr. and Mrs. Allen and their children. They are a tremendous gift to the body of Christ in general and this institution in particular. I've been affiliated with Midwestern Seminary since I first enrolled back in 1989. I do want to mention one thing Dr. Allen didn't say about me that you might find as a surprise as well. I was not an MMA fighter But back then, in 1989, we utilized things like typewriters and phones were not smarter than their users, and some people actually thought Maxwell House was good to the last drop. Ask your grandparents about that one. It was a great joy to study here. I considered it a privilege to serve as a trustee here for some 10 years and as a local pastor and uh, adjunct professor. I am so grateful for what the Lord has done through this institution. I love the school. I love the way that students trained here are impacting the world for Christ. I believe in this seminary. I recommend students here all the time. I wear Midwestern shirts, Midwestern jewelry, and we have Midwestern coasters on our conference table at church. I would get A for-the-church tattoo, but while I'm for the church, I'm not for the pain. (laughs) A couple of years ago on New Year's Eve, my wife Lori and I went to the Cheesecake Factory. I wanted to go to Waffle House, but since I outkicked my coverage in marrying her, she won. She ordered her beverage of choice. She kind of lives life on the wild side, Cherry Coke. Then it was my turn. I drink about two sodas a month, and I was thinking it's New Year's Eve, I should probably live a little. And I was going to get a cherry Coke, but then I thought we might get dessert, and I knew I would want coffee. And while I am happy for everyone to have soda and then coffee, I can't bring myself to do it for myself. I'm tighter than bark on a tree. So I ordered coffee, decaf, no less. I told you I was living on the edge, right? Two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. Finally, the waitress returns. She has a cherry Coke and coffee. The coffee is as cold. It's cold. It is as cold as the stare a preacher gets from a nursery worker after a 55-minute sermon. It's not warm at all. And I said very graciously, ma'am, I'm sorry, but this is not very hot. Our waitress looked stunned. She was speechless for a moment. And then you know what she said? She said, would you like me to add some warm water to that? And I thought, no, ma'am. I don't want a watered-down version of something that's lukewarm already. And I thought about that phrase, and I thought about some churches and some denominations, and I thought, I thought that all they're doing is presenting a watered-down version of something that is lukewarm already, and I resolved in my heart never to be guilty of watering down anything related to Jesus, the gospel, or the whole counsel of the Word of God. This seminary is filled with people who have that same resolve, and I'm so grateful for that. And while there are many, while there are many, may I say, we need more churches filled with people who have that same resolve. Sometimes the encouragement we need is to look back in history. I pastor a church that is 164 years old, I now have the longest tenure of any of the pastors, and I have a collage with their pictures in my study because I want to be reminded of their effort. Sometimes I stare at those faces and I think, don't let me mess it up. There are 44 frames on that collage, And there have no doubt been some champions in that mix, people who have served the church through the Civil War, women's suffrage through world wars, through economic ups and downs and theological ebb and flow. Our church was doing ministry some five years before Abraham Lincoln went to the White House. Sometimes it encourages me to consider what some of my predecessors may have endured. Sometimes it encourages us to consider a character in the Bible, warts and all. And sometimes what they did doesn't make much sense to us, but it behooves us to remember them. In our sermon for today, we're going to be looking at a scenario that in the natural order of things doesn't seem to make much sense. But we need that reminder as well, that God isn't bound... By the natural order of things. So I want you to remember, simply remember Gideon. If you have your Bibles, join me as we turn to the book of Judges, chapter 7, and we're going to look at several verses, but I'm going to read just the first three verses. Judges, chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Let's stand for a moment as we read the word together. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Thank you. may be seated. Remember Gideon. Now, let me fill in the gaps just a bit to uh, bring us up to speed. Forty years of rest followed Israel's deliverance from Canaanite cruelty "...under the leadership of Deborah and Barak. Then there is the typical lapse of the people into sin and idolatry. Israel is once again displeasing to the Lord." Judges 6.1 says, "...the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years." Judges chapter 6 details how because of their disobedience, the Lord allowed the Midianites to overpower the children of Israel. I wish we had time to unpack more of the particulars related to this, but we don't, and you might be glad we don't. I know that Old Testament skirmishes are not necessarily everybody's favorite chapel topic. So Gideon is called by the Lord and referred to as a mighty man of valor. That would be a pretty cool title on your resume, wouldn't it? a mighty man of valor. Essentially, God tells Gideon that Gideon is going to save the children of Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon pushes back a bit, and I just saved you several verses there. He says his clan is the weakest and he can't do it because he's the least in his father's house and on and on and on. That's kind of like when we say, Lord, we don't have enough money to do this. Or, I don't have the right kind of pedigree, God, to do this. Or, my family is fairly new to faith. Or, Lord, surely somebody else could do it better. Or, how about this one? God, this Greek class is too hard. Thankfully, none of us have ever said things like that. And God says, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. That's the Old Testament version of God saying, I've got your back. Now go, son. And then there's that whole fleece scenario Gideon puts out. Gideon asks God to keep dew on it only and the ground dry, and then the opposite, and God does it. And you would think that Gideon would be giddy, but he's not, at least not yet. Now you're up to speed. There are, in fact, many reasons to look at the life of Gideon, great lessons we can learn as we remember him. So let's get to the task at hand from the text at hand. First of all, this morning, I want you to recognize sometimes God will orchestrate circumstances in our life that will keep us from thinking we're more important than we really are. We read the text just a moment ago, verses 1 through 3. So God is about to lead Gideon to lead the people to conquer the Midianites. And he says, essentially, your army is too big. If you win it this way, people are going to get the big head and think they've done it themselves. Now, that's not exactly in the Hebrew, but it's pretty close. Who thinks of of shrinking an army to take on a much larger army? Who thinks like that? God. The point is, God sometimes orchestrates things in our life that keep us from thinking we're a bigger deal than we really are. Now, I know for a lot of people today, this is a hard lesson to learn. But from time to time, we may need this lesson. Please understand, I think... That God does use his people to accomplish certain tasks. God will use you if, in fact, you're open to it. So when you've preached well, or you've sung well, or you've led well, you've done something well, and somebody says, hey, I appreciate you, it's okay to just say, thank you. We all know, ultimately, if something good has been done, God is the one who should get the credit But don't fall into the trap of over-spiritualizing everything. Do you know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. God deserves all the glory for everything good, but it's okay to just say thanks when someone recognizes you've been used by God. We've all been around people who over-spiritualize things, haven't we? I heard Dr. Steve Brown, my Presbyterian friend, tell the story about Fred Smith Fred Smith spoke in a lot of churches over the years and had a lot of conversations with people in those churches and had grown weary of what he perceived to be a sort of false humility and over-spiritualization of things. One day after Fred spoke, he was visiting with people in the lobby of the church, and the lady who had sung a solo earlier happened to walk by, and Fred said, ma'am, I want to let you know you did a lovely job on your song this morning. And the lady responded by saying, well, thank you, but it really wasn't me that did the singing, it was the Holy Spirit to which Fred responded, that's funny because the Holy Spirit did a much better job in the church I was in last week. (laughs) You think that got her attention? Listen, sometimes it is God who brings things into our lives to keep our own egos in check. Sometimes your critics can be a gift from God to you. A great critic can be a great asset to keeping you grounded. We've likely all read the quote attributed to Spurgeon, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Can I get a witness? Sometimes God will orchestrate circumstances in our life that will keep us from thinking we're more important than we really are. So Gideon is simply told that the army is going to have to shrink or the children of Israel are going to think when they win that they're all that and a bag of chips. So God is going to whittle the army down to size. God doesn't always do things like we think he should. Listen, I want you to be effective in whatever God calls you to do. But no matter how successful you become, I hope you remember from whence you have come. You can't pay God back for all of his blessings. We know that. But please don't miss the fact that you owe, at the very least, you owe a debt of gratitude. A few years ago, I had the privilege of serving as the president of the Missouri Baptist Convention And when the time came for me to speak, uh, I was introduced by Dr. Anthony Allen, the president at Hannibal LaGrange University, and I love those long, flowery introductions that bore the audience but feed the ego. And I told the crowd that night, in fact, how much I enjoyed it because I want my wife to hear all those good things because I'm not sure if she knows I'm even saved some days. And Dr. Allen rattled off a bunch of titles. He said, Dr. Parker is president of the convention, trustee of the seminary, chairman of the board of the Baptist home, adjunct professor, pastor, yada, yada. For the record, that doesn't puff me up. It doesn't. Because I know I could mess it all up with one sentence, one lingering look, one click of the mouse. Further, I know there are at least a thousand men standing in line who could do it much better than I do. But somebody asked me later on, they said, Ken, why do you do all that? Thinking I had daddy issues. You know what I said? I said, because I'm indebted to God and the people of God. Now, I'm not that smart. I'm not that good, and I'm certainly not that holy. And if I ever begin to believe my own press, and this is true for you too, we've taken a step into enemy territory. Listen, I hope someday you're sitting in a big office surrounded by symbols of your achievement, and I hope you remember me when you come into your kingdom. But if you are, I hope that you remember what the book of James says, and that is that every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. I hope you remember that everything you have, even as you've worked hard for it, is still a gift from the hand of God. And if the bottom ever drops out of your life, I hope you recognize it might very well be that God is allowing it just to ensure you don't think you're a bigger deal than you really are. And I've been there, and some of you have too, and so will some of you be someday. Sometimes God will orchestrate circumstances in our life that will keep us from thinking we're more important than we really are. So when you're wondering what in the world is going on in your life, remember Gideon. Would you say that with me? remember Gideon. I know we're wearing masks, but say it through the mask so I can hear it because if you stay with me, we'll go faster. Remember Gideon. There we go. Number two, God is at work in this world even when you don't understand his ways. Look with me, please, beginning with verse three and following. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then twenty-two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you, and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Every "'Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, "'With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his own home.'" God is at work in the world, even when you don't understand His ways. Now, I know very little about military strategy, but I guarantee this is not the way I would have prepared to beat an enemy. Let's whittle this thing down. Why go to fight with 32,000 when you can fight with only 10,000 or only 300? Gideon has already experienced a mass exodus. 22,000 of the people have already left. And then there's this lapping versus kneeling to drink scenario, which makes no sense to me at all. But God whittles down the army to 300. And like you, I've read the theories. I'm not sure that any of them are all that compelling. I've read that the men who put their hands to their mouths demonstrated a posture that was more alert and prepared to see the enemy approaching. I don't think that's necessarily the deal at all. I don't think God is all that concerned about convention military strategy here. I think it's just more of the counterintuitive ways that God chooses to work in the world. He's going to conquer Israel's enemies in such a way that Israel and everybody else will know it is God. Think about how our God actually works. He kills a giant with a young man and a sling. God speaks audibly through a donkey, and I'm not talking about me this morning. When God comes to earth in the flesh, He is not welcomed with brass fanfare, but rather simple shepherds. It's just like God. Let's face it, God does things in a way that seems really strange to us at times. God is at work in this world even when you don't understand His ways. Stop and think what we believe. It really is foolishness to the world. But to us, it is the power of God. God isn't bound to do things in a conventional way. It was a snowstorm and not a summer camp when God saved a teenager named Spurgeon who drifted into a Methodist church in order for God to make him a Baptist preacher who would dedicate himself to keeping people from drifting into theological ruin. It was a Sunday school teacher named Kimball God used to lead a young man named Moody to faith in Christ. And Mr. Moody did not attend school beyond the fifth grade. But institutions that bear his name have molded and educated generations for Christian ministry. It was a seminary birthed in conflict. In a denomination that started on the wrong side of slavery that God is now using to educate God called men and women for the church, an institution that at its founding would have likely found itself in opposition to much of what the great Spurgeon preached and now houses the treasury of that Baptist leader. Nobody in 1957 would have dreamed the day would come that Midwestern, once viewed as a theological safe haven for the likes of the message of Genesis, would become an exceptional citadel for the message of the cross. Many of the guys I thought would be champions for Jesus in my lifetime have ended up doing a lot of things other than serving Jesus. Please don't miss this. Giftedness does not ensure faithfulness. And some of the guys that I thought were the most gifted crashed and burned. And God has used people I didn't think he would use. But then again, God has never asked me. To the point, most of you will not be the next John Piper or R.C. Sproul. Most of you will not be the next Dr. Jason Allen or Dr. Owen Strand. You can add names to the list. But you'll someday be somebody's pastor or somebody's professor, and while you may not change the whole world, you may change someone's world. Maybe, just maybe, you'll do your, you'll live your life doing ordinary things and simply influencing ordinary people through ordinary circumstances, and that is your God-given, providential lot in life. I want you to know that's good, That's very good. In fact, it proves the point of the text that God is at work in this world even when we don't understand His ways. Sometimes God will orchestrate circumstances in our life that will keep us from thinking we're more important than we really are. God is at work in the world even when you don't understand His ways. When you're wondering what in the world is going on in your life, who are we going to remember? Say it with me. Remember Gideon. Number three, you get by with a little help from your friends. Verse 9, that same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in. The camp. Pura was a servant of Gideon, at some level, a companion of Gideon. He goes with Gideon to spy on the Midianites just in case Gideon was afraid. My point is simple sometimes we need a friend. Sometimes we need a companion, sometimes we need someone to go along with us for the ride so we don't allow fear to overtake us. We all need friends, but listen to me carefully, in addition to doing what you can do to influence those who are not yet a part of the family, hang out with people who will help make you more like Jesus. 2020 was a crazy year, wasn't it? Several years ago at our church, I I named our long-range... This was stupid, Travis, by the way, for me to do this. I named our long-range planning team Target 2020. Dumbest thing I've ever done. I know it's been a tough year, but listen to me. You're going to face some things this next year, too, and the next year, too, and for several years that might cause you to experience more hardship, confusion, or even fear. That's okay. Take someone with you. Call a friend. Confide in a confidant. Don't go it alone. There's a reason community is such a big deal in the New Testament. We need it. So don't be afraid to let some people into your inner circle and let them be your friend, but make sure they're a good friend of Jesus first. It's humbling to have good friends. They're a gift from God. I had COVID in the fall I had most of the symptoms about which I had read, but one of the toughest things that happened to me wasn't the fatigue or the loss of taste or even the difficulty breathing. One day I overheard my wife talking on the phone and she said, yes, that would be so kind. Ken won't like it, but he'll appreciate it. She hung up and I said, what are you talking about? Nothing, she said, but I knew it was something. I was so tired, I didn't have the energy to do anything. I sat in a recliner for about a week and a half. And in a little bit, I heard a mower and a tremor start up, and I dragged myself outside and stood on the deck, and, and I had one of the most humbling experiences of my life. I watched as two friends from church took, out, took time out of their very busy lives and cut my lawn and trimmed the grass. It's hard to be humbled, be grateful for friends, their gift. So when you know you need a good and godly friend to help you along, the way, remember, say it with me, remember Gideon. Number four, never underestimate what God can use to change your life. Verse 12 and following. "'And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance.'" When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it, so that it fell, and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade Answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Never underestimate what God can use to change your life. So Gideon Moses down to where the Midianites are and the Amalekites were, and the scripture says they were like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore is in abundance. This is, by the way, a picture of a big group. And Gideon and Purah go down to see what in the world is actually happening. And Gideon overhears one of them telling a dream that they had dreamed. And this dream symbolizes the victory that Gideon was going to have. God gave the enemies of Israel Israel a dream that was utterly demoralizing nothing had really changed in their mindset and now Gideon and the men small though they were would ultimately be victorious nothing had changed Gideon's men hadn't finished more training nothing had changed they weren't given any new or different weapons nothing had changed all of this because God used a dream don't underestimate what God can do Maybe God has plans for your life that include impacting the whole world. Maybe His plans for your life include impacting your little corner of the world. In either case, I can guarantee you that God wants to utilize your life for the good of the world and the glory of His Son. And whatever that is, it's enough. It's enough. Sometimes God will orchestrate circumstances in our life that will keep us from thinking we're more important than we really are. God is at work in the world even when you don't understand his ways. You get by with a little help from your friends. Never underestimate what God can use to change your life. So when you're wondering what God might use to change your life, who should we remember? Say it with me. Remember Gideon. Number five, and we're finished. Even before Gideon wins, he worships. Even before Gideon wins, he worships. Look with me, please. At verse 15 and following, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon had I been there I would have said are you kidding me and you probably would have too but please notice if you will that before even before Gideon wins he worships God uses trumpets and jars with torches inside of them to defeat the Midianites that's an interesting strategy huh God's ways are not man's ways. God's way is to trust him and see what he does to make good things happen in life. Some of you guys, in preparation for ministry, are scared to death. I don't blame you. Some days you probably ought to be. You don't know how things are going to work out. You probably won't have to face the Midianites, but you'll face a disgruntled church member or somebody that doesn't like something that you said in passing in the hallway. Some of you are scared to death and you don't know how things are going to work out. You don't know what's ahead. Here, I can tell you what's ahead. Okay, here it is. Are you ready? Great heartache and great joy. Great challenges and great victory. And to the point, worship before you win. Don't wait for everything to be going great in your life and ministry and family before you spend time in worship, before you win. What did Gideon do even before the battles had occurred, even before Gideon knew the outcome? What did he do? He worshiped. He recognized what the big deal really was, and he knew he wasn't it, Say it with me, remember Gideon. Listen, the sooner we realize who's really in charge, the better off we'll be. Even if it doesn't make sense at times, follow Jesus. Even when you think you know better, trust Jesus. When we realize that God is God and we surrender wholly to Him, then and only then will we walk in victory. Long before Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, there was Roger Staubach and Tom Landry. Again, ask your grandparents. Staubach, who had led the Dallas Cowboys to the World Championship in 1971, admitted that his position as a quarterback, who did not call his own signals, was a source of trial for him. His coach, Tom Landry, called in every play. He told Staubach when to pass, when to run, and only in emergency situations could he change the play. And he was told if he changed the play, he had better be right. Even though Roger Staubach considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind, when it came to football strategy, pride said he ought to be able to run his own team. Staubach later said, and I quote, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. That was important for a game. It's even more important for your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the great lessons that we learned from Gideon. And I pray that in the days ahead, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, the years ahead, the decades ahead, that we will remember some of these truths. Help us, God, to live with the recognition that giftedness doesn't ensure faithfulness. And for each of these, my brothers and sisters, who live with your call upon their lives. Father, I pray above all that we would be found faithful. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.